Thank you for tuning in. Brace yourself for an encouraging, insightful, and honest conversation about leadership we all need to hear. Because the gaps still exist, and the opportunities are not as readily available to as many others as we think. Our guest is the caring, perspective-changing, and opportunity-creating Tamara Roy, a principal, architect, and urban designer at Stantec Architecture in Boston. Our discussion is wide-ranging as we dive into subjects too often avoided or misunderstood, including what it takes to become a principal and the barriers that still exist for many, the benefits of both diverse teams and real dialogue as we work through different challenges and changes, as well as team success and training and development in a flexible and hybrid world, and so much more. Anyone and all of us as longtime current or emerging leaders across backgrounds, genders, and generations can lead real change. The key is to have or to create the conditions needed to get to the root issues and to the real opportunities and then begin to solve for them. So without any further delay, let's continue to challenge each other and to evolve both our understandings and skill sets to better lead and succeed as any type of principle. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Tamara Roy, a principal at Stantec Architecture in Boston, and we'll be talking about women in leadership. Welcome to the podcast, Tamara. Thank you. It's so nice to be here, Peter. Happy to happy to um, be talking with you about this subject. Yes, and I have enjoyed all of our conversations to date, and I'm excited about diving into the subject further with you today. Can you, but as we begin, can you share a little bit about you, uh, your career background, and the, and the type of work you're generally involved with today? Sure. I am an architect and an urban designer. I have uh, two degrees, an undergraduate from Carnegie Mellon in the five-year architecture program, and then um, three years of work in order to actually get registered as an architect. Um, and then after that, I went to graduate school in Amsterdam at a, an urban design think tank um, with people from all around the world. Um, and really got to appreciate um, the different perspectives um, and histories and all of the things that people bring um, from, you know, working together and collaborating um, when you're from different places and different, you know, different perspectives. So I bring that to my work um, today, every day, um, when I work with clients, when I work with people in the firm, um, just that notion of being curious and interested in what makes us both the same and what makes us different um, and how those differences can um, enrich our work um, and, and keep us you know, relating 
to all of our, our um, clients and the people who are going to use our buildings and our, our cities and our projects. That oh, sounds you said, great. So then you asked me, yeah. So then yeah. you asked me, um, you know, what kind of work do I do? So I do everything from sort of large urban plans, um, you know, for like my biggest one right now is six and a half million square feet on the site of the Bayside Expo Center. Um, and then two, you know, 50 unit uh, affordable micro unit buildings, like one I'm doing in New Bedford. Um, so I really love being a generalist. And I just, the, the things I work on are really based on uh, deciding if I'm passionate about it. And if, you know, our firm can bring the right stuff to that, those projects. So all sorts of mixed use projects, um, you know, mostly urban, I'd say. Well, I mean, there was a, there's a ton to unpack in that from a technical and design perspective, but in right. like focusing in on, and on our subjects and, and there is just, um, I've, like I mentioned in the, the beginning, I've enjoyed our conversations together, but one of the things and, and today really kind of diving into women in leadership in our past conversations, one of the things that struck me and continues to strike me as I as I think about it is is the idea um, and in your case the reality of being the first quote unquote mommy principal. I, I would love to dive into that topic and unpack it and but maybe even just before that, how in your experience, how do you define the role of a principal? And mm. then I'd love to understand about how what your process has been and, and what it what it meant in the, in the, in the circumstances of, of how you came across the term mommy principle. Right. So, um, I mean, first how to define a principle, I'm hoping that the definition is evolving, um, all the time as we mommy principles and other folks with different perspectives take on those roles. Because when I first started working, um, and I've worked in firms, you know, all over the world, different sizes, different structures. Um, but generally, you know, the principal role was revenue generation, right? And client contact, right? So you're bringing in the clients, you're making the rain, um, and then you're handing the projects to your teams, right? In order to do them. Um, and what I find, what I found, um, I guess, frustrating in that as a woman on my path was that in the project types I was working in, all of the almost all of the clients were male, right? And so, it, and the networking was happening in places that I wasn't welcome or wasn't comfortable, right? Either on the, on the, you know, the let's say the comfortable part. I'm not a golfer, <laughs> right? Or you know, at the gym, a lot of my our principals in our company meet their clients at the gym, you know, whatever. Um, you know, or in rarefied areas where, you know, you're meeting wealthy people, right? I'm not from a wealthy background, so I felt like an imposter there. Um, and then, you know, it was happening sort of over drinks or things like that. And as a, you know, uh, I would say like <laughs> attractive younger woman, um, even though I was married, I had so many uncomfortable situations, like literally me too moments, you know, with potential clients where they would hit on me over drinks. And so, you know, it's, I was just like, wow, how am I gonna do, fill this, fill this role, right? Of bringing in the projects if I can't on a fundamental level, bring in those clients in these ways. So, 
Um, so what I did, I had to find a workaround. So our projects were big enough that I partnered with another male principal and then they would do all of that stuff. And I would be, you know, the content creator, the person they came to that they said, like at the next project, we can't do this project without Tamara because she's creative. She's got these ideas. She's getting us through the community process. She's got great communication skills. Right. So it was much more based on performance of the project and much less on relationships, um, you know, but over time, the relationships come too, right? And so that was a thing that I got to kind of relax about a little bit as I got to be a principal um, was that, you know, the the projects and the, and the clients would come back to me um, and then they'd be comfortable even without that male principal there, like that I could just do the project as the leader myself. Um, so that was part of it. Um, the mommy principle thing was the other frustration, which is that, you know, you, you have to, I mean, I think if you love your children and your family, right, you, you're trying to strike this balance, right, of not letting your family down and also trying to live your potential of your work life person, right? and what you can do. And that was really a struggle. Um, and so, you know, I'm also using my principal role now to just try to add some humanity, you know, to the way that we treat our staff and say, these two things are equally important. You shouldn't have to choose. Um, you are able, you should be able to make your own balance and on your own time. Um, and some of the remote working has helped quite a bit with that. Um, with for our working families. Um, and yeah, so I, I guess I, I think that when I became a, a mommy principal, there was 12 of us, you know, and 11 were much more focused on when we get together as principals in our principal group, you know, just talking about what work are you doing? How much money are you making? Where are you losing money? That kind of thing. And that's all important conversation, but it doesn't need to take up the whole hour and a half, right? And then the, the other part of it was like, well, how, how is our staff doing? How's our work-life balance going? And those were the questions that I was bringing up. And now, you know, our principal group is nearly half women and we have phenomenal conversations that are, are much more humane um, and, you know, care about the planet and, um, you know, the, the subjects just become more wide ranging. Um, and lastly, I will say that, um, that because generally, and I, I won't say this, this is, you know, across the board, um, but the women tend to focus a little more on the relationship parts. Um, I would say I've gotten a lot of positive affirmation around, you know, being one of the vocal principles who leads with her heart, right? And that, you know, when we have our all office chit chats or our gatherings, you know, I'm sort of one of the folks that speak and just say, you know what, we really care about you guys, you know, and we, and we, we want to hear from you. We don't want to just tell you top down what we think. We need to go bottom up, right? In our organization and hear what your experiences are, offer caring, offer listening, and then try to find policy solutions within our firm that are going to, you know, make it a better workplace for everybody. 
know, um, the, those are some of the things I think that, you know, principals need to do. Um, I, yeah, I know I, there's just a, <clears throat> a ton. And just to kind of start at the, the top of what you said. So it sounded like back in the day, in order to become a principal, you really needed a, a lead blocker, like, like an, an advocate <laughs> or an ally <laughs> I did. Um, to sort of create space for you to then perform and prove that you are capable of being a principal. Right. And right. I, Which men don't realize because they don't need Right. So they don't see like there are a lot of things that um, and I would say even white men. Right. Because we're still we have at least a little bit better language to talk about these issues through Black Lives Matter. Right. Of privilege. What does privilege mean? What it does, you know, how you show yourself in the world, open certain doors or closes certain doors. Right. And I know as a woman that, you know, the door might have opened, but it opened only partially or it opened in a way that where it was set, you know, my, my um, supervisors would say, or they would allow me only so far because they imagine them as their, me as their daughter. Right. I don't know if you hear this a lot from women, but it can be very upsetting, you know, in your twenties and thirties that a senior male, even though they're really trying to be an ally and an advocate, that they're doing it because they want someone to do that for their daughter, right? But it's diminishing in another way, right? Because they don't see you as an equal or a peer. They see you as somebody who they need to help along. Um, you know, so anyway, enough about that. But I think your question, remind me your question. Well, no, I, I was just more <laughs> of a comment on what you had said that, you know, there was this lead blocker sort of advocate mm. ally effect. I mean, do you and things are changing and, and awareness. I mean, just our overall awareness of other people and, and wanting other people to succeed. I mean, to, you know, the shift, the, the really hard shift of, of leadership into being a responsibility and really kind of being for everybody. I mean, that, that mm -hmm. that's taking hold, right? I mean, we're mm -hmm. various levels on the spectrum of that, but I think it's, it's out there. Do you think that it's changed though? Do you think, high-performing, high-achieving women, high-potential women who are in their 20s and 30s today are, are still absolutely needing that lead blocker, advocate, ally? Or do you think it's changing um, today? Or do you think I it's, think it's still they, kind of more No, I think it's a, I, I think they do. Yeah. I mean, that's what I hear from my younger women staff, especially, you know, in places like the construction site, right? They do for, you know, for their first job or two doing construction administration, they absolutely need that project manager who's going to be there saying, Sarah knows her shit, <laughs> right? Trust her, leave her alone and stop doing these power things over her. You know, you should be talking to her, not to me, right? That's what the project manager needs to say, because she's, you know, this person is in their early 20s. Um, and that's also, it also can be true for young men as well. Um, you know, we just need to support our younger people and give and empower them, right? So that we can step back and do something else, right? That's also a great strategy generally for success. Um, and then also in the client arena, for sure, I still sometimes need lead blockers, Peter. You know, I still have clients who I will say something 
and it's like they don't hear it. And then my male counterpart will reword it and say it the same way. And they'll be like, oh, wow, that's a brilliant idea. You know, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just something that, you know, it just is. So I say, you know, we, but as we want to function as a team, like the bigger point is we, we shouldn't, none of us should be the one and only um, for any client or any project. So, you know, we want to understand our roles and lead with our strengths and let the other, let everyone else also do the same. Um, and I think the more that my clients see me in this leadership role where I'm, I'm happy and willing to do that, I always say to them, like, you are going to be shocked at how deep our bench is, you know, and how this person that I introduced to the team at this point and this person that comes in and this person are incredible experts at what they do. And you are going to love them. Right. And that's leadership. It's not the kind of insecure based leadership that I feel like I've experienced a lot in the past where, you know, the principal has to pretend as though they know everything and they're, you know, and they're where the sun rises and sets for every client, because one, that's exhausting for them. I never want to be that for my client. Right. And two, it's just untrue. Right. It's just not true. Like our teams, we have big enough projects that every person is performing an absolutely critical function and they need to be really good at what they're doing. And we need to be proud of them and push them forward. Right. I, I mean, I, I will thank you for sharing that. And there is this awareness of even that principle, like circling back and saying, you know, tomorrow you said that I was able to, you know, reset this, but hey, you know, re repackage it in a way that was heard. But thank you for saying that. I acknowledge that you came up with that or even just in the conversation with, well, as Tamara said, I mean, this is this what you meant tomorrow when you, right. so I guess there's some tactics right. that can really be used to sort of in the moment, if we're aware yeah. of them, um, to be able to sort of do um, do better than that. I will say, you know, your kind of your experience, I, we just was part of a, a, a co-author of a study. We looked at the present and future of work in AEC in 2022, our, our most recent report. And I will say, based on the data, I mean, there still is a significant gender gap. And, you know, maybe we're making progress here on the doorstep of 2023. But, you know, as it relates to motivations to leave one's employer, in terms of career advancement, um, compensation, the desire for more flexible schedules, the uh, not feeling valued by their employer. Women were 50% more likely in those categories to want to, you know, let, leave their employer because of that. So mm. the gap still, it, maybe it's it's closing because we're having more conversations, but it's still there. And so that the, kind of the second point you brought up with the sort of leading with, you know, sort of humanity pieces. And, and because mm -hmm. people truly as all humans, but, you know, and maybe in certain situations, um, well, I, I truly think it's, it's gender and generation neutral as a human, we, we want to be seen, heard, valued, and that mm -hmm. we belong. Right. I mean, and mm -hmm. that is one of the, the relational aspects of stopping the, the great resignation or, or track, you know, attracting people from all that being said, you're, you mentioned leading with, you know, humanity and that type of thing, which in some cases, if people are our greatest resources, right, um, they are the key leading indicators for 
performance in the, on, the, on the balance sheet, right? And profit and loss. So it sounds like, yeah, we want to talk about performance. We absolutely, the money needs to work, right? We have to be financially viable, but you seem to be, well, let's talk about the people because they're the key leading indicators. So if, if they're mm-hmm. doing well, we'll get the performance. Is that the kind of the way you look at it? And is that sort of why it's accepted now uh, or why people are attracted to that? Um, I mean, I, I think that the, the disconnect, one of the disconnects that I see and why it's so important to have diversity in your leadership is because if you're the employee and you're looking at the leader and that leader doesn't look like you, sound like you, seem like they care about what you care about, <laughs> right? Or ever ask you what you think, then, I mean, how how tight or how loyal are you going to be to that organization? How easy is it going to be for you to see a path to get to that where I'm sitting, right? And so being the first mommy principle, I honestly didn't see it myself. Like we were at a at a um, all office party and that's where we announce our promotions and they announced the promotion and my favorite interior designer who was one of my um, advisees was the first one to give me a hug and say you're the first mommy principal and she had two little babies right and so and, and it just struck me that like how many of these women need to see me, you know, manage this, even in all its messiness, right? And even in the struggle, like I talk about the struggle, but then they see, oh, she's not just sailing through this and acting like it's easy, right? She's actually really struggling, (laughs) but still managing to keep these balls in the air somehow, right? Um, and, And I think that's absolutely true of color, you know, I think it's it's true of everything, um, every type of diversity. You know, we have a lot of um, pride in our office, right, in terms of, you know, gay principles. And I think that's great, too. It's like be be who you are is the and be the best that you can be at your, you know, at your role and your job. Um, that's the ideal. And I really wish if we could flip the narrative you know, I would like everybody to also say like, hey, there's a daddy principle, right? Because why don't we say that, right? Because don't daddies want to be, have that same balance? I mean, I we I love our, our newest principle we made um, and he is absolutely a family man, right? And he, he, he has to, he's as tortured as I was, you know, with his two kids being eight and 10, and trying to work, you know, the crazy hours and deadlines that sometimes architecture demands and still be, you know, there for his family because he has a working wife who has her own company and she's trying to do the same. And in my ideal world, that's that's it. It's not, you know, one of us taking all the burden. It's everybody. When you have a principle that values sort of winning at work and winning at home, uh, winning at life, uh, building teams, focusing on the the leading indicators that how is my team doing, um, not just sort of the end result. Are we making profit or are we not? When you see principles in action that have that mindset and, and different sort of set of actions, 
are you still seeing the same results? Are you seeing different results than sort of maybe how we've in, in the past um, had principles operate? Hmm. Um, I wish I could say like, oh yeah, there's such different results. <laughs> I do. Um, and you're making me think like scan really quickly, like all the projects that, that I'm doing with all the different teams and are there different results? I mean, what I would say I've heard from the staff is that when the teams are mixed, um, and when they're led by women, they are a lot more democratic. There is a lot more space and time given to people, um, people being able to express themselves and do their own things as opposed to being told what to do. Um, so internally, there's, there's, I think, pretty big results. I don't know if there have ever been studies on that, but certainly the teams seem better functioning when they're more diverse. Um, outside, in terms of does the work change? Um, I think it does, but I think there, you know, since it's a design field, I, yeah, I don't know how, how could, I could pinpoint that, but again, so then I'll switch back again to relationships. I think the client relationships um, are, are more multidimensional with a diverse team. Um, you know, we're really talking about subjects, whether we're, you know, designing a building and, and talking about its place in the city and its role, you know, in the urban fabric that the conversation is much more multivalent um, with diverse teams and diverse client groups as well. Um, you know, but, but those are pretty progressive client groups. You know, I also have ones that, you know, again, where on their side, it's all about profit and revenue. And, you know, and so we need to speak that language well as well, right? We can't ignore that because we're talking about real estate and in the end they want to, you know, they have to <laughs> make a profit, um, you know, but buildings do so much more than just make a profit or a loss. Right. And well, you talked about engaging teams and certainly, you know, that is if, 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 if a, if a person, if a team group of people are engaged in their projects, that they're much more likely to perform at their best, much more likely to stick around Right. And there. stick around, Peter, I'm sorry to inter inter interrupt you, but stick around is really important today. Well, I did want to talk about the leaky Super pipelines and, and, and staying and ties it into the great resignation and all that. Can, can you share a little bit about you know, your thoughts on how to fix those pipelines and, and create the opportunities for people to want to stick around? Um, well, I mean, I think that, you know, as if you implement all the things I'm talking about where you're, you're giving somebody a chance to actually show what they can do and, you know, empower them and all of that, they're much more likely to stay. Right. And then our teams are much more functional because every time you throw new people into teams, they have to be retrained. They have to, you know, sort of understand what we do and who's good at what and, and all of that just takes so much time and energy 
that, you know, we often don't have on short timelines. So the more that you can keep a core team together over time, the better everything's going to function. So, um, you know, so once they're in the door, I think we do a pretty good job of retaining them. Um, the pipeline itself, uh, as I know you're, you're often talking to engineering companies, right? And architecture is, um, is still very limited for people of color and people who, um, you know, don't come from wealth. Um, they, these groups just don't think of architecture as a profession. So, you know, I have been teaching at, at Mass College of Art and Design um, for that reason, because it's a state architecture school, which instead of $50,000 a year, it's $15,000 a year, and you can get a lot of scholarships. And so my students generally are um, of color and low income. And so I'm the bridge, right? I am literally the bridge where I, you know, help them understand what the, what the professional world is like, how they can you know, function in it and even how they can disrupt it, right? Um, because I want to give them a place. I don't want them to become carbon copies of me or anybody else. I, I think we need to open the door for them and then see what they can do to this profession. And so, you know, it's sort of giving them the lay of the land and saying, here's the biases that exist. Here's the way in, um, you know, you, you go do this, right? And see how you do. Um, has been one of my goals. And I know there's quite a few people actually at Stantec in my group that teach at different institutions um, in order to try to grow that pipeline. Um, it's not easy. It's definitely uh, a tough thing because when, you know, when you have um, sort of underrepresented groups, again, as I was saying, they don't see themselves in the firm. And so how lonely is that? right? Like you enter in and you're, the, you're the only one of your whatever group and it's super lonely. Um, and you know, so you leave, you go to someplace else where you can find your people. <laughs> so, you know, we have to keep thinking about that. We have to keep moving people to leadership positions so they can be more visible and then they can be out there and then they can be the, the, you know, the harvesters of the next generation. How I, I, and that I, I I would assume is is very rewarding to kind of create an help people see an opportunity and mm. you know, now be a lead blocker totally for a is. different group of people after you had a lead blocker for a while and just sort of pay that forward uh, and even just the insight to well once we get the pipeline big enough and flowing we've got to be able to sort of make sure it continues to flow and doesn't leak out which I think is is great as it relates I would love to get your thoughts on training and development, you know, as it relates to, you know, a lot of newer people. So in our industry overall, we, we tend to not be in the shape of a pyramid. We tend to be in the shape of an, of an hourglass. We have a lot of senior people mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of junior people and not right. a very big middle. Um, part mm -hmm. of that was the great recession 10 to 15 years ago. People just didn't join or left our industry and aren't there. So, well, and also the demographics, Peter. I mean, I am in that fun. I, I used to call it the barbell, right? Where it's like the baby boomers and the millennials. And those are big population groups. And they're like five times the size of us in the middle, right? These folks who are whatever you call us. Um, 
you know, and it, it's just a fact of life. So I, I, I always tell the younger folks like, this is the opportunity for you because I had to wait and wait and wait. That's what the glass ceiling was. I was like, this is not a glass ceiling. This is a rock ceiling. Like, cause nobody's moving, you know, they're not going anywhere. Um, you know, and you have to wait till they retire to get to squeeze in there somehow, you know, but these folks now it's like, this is your apple, eat it, you know? <laughs> well, it, it might, right. It might've been a, a, a glass ceiling, but also a Gen X ceiling, right? Just with the, with the numbers of, of the boomers. Right. In right. Front of but us, it but also, I, again, if, if that's, that's the folks that you need to, you know, empower as quickly as possible, give them. And, and we've always been a company that's done that when we were at Inc before Stantec, you know, it was, it was an entrepreneurial attitude, right? Like you, you could have as much responsibility as you could possibly swallow. <laughs> like, cause that it would just be coming at you like a fire hose, you know? And, and that's good. It's like, it really does call out the people too, who, you know, just kind of want to coast and, you know, just don't really have any incentive to do anything, you know? And then there's the rock stars who are like, Hey, bring it on. You know, I can do this. Yeah. I didn't think I could, but now I think I can. And, you know, or with a little support, I can do this. Um, and so that's, you know, to me, that's a company that I want to work in and for to, to keep growing people. And there's a huge amount of opportunity there. Right. And, and that opportunity, I mean, in some organizations, it's the, I'm overwhelmed, the younger folks, I'm overwhelmed by that opportunity because mm -hmm. I'm sort of delegated to and left to figure it out on my own. And I turn something in and I know what's not right. I know someone redid it again on the weekend and never really followed back with me. And the, I, I don't really learn what I did wrong and just sort of doing a bunch of tasks and more senior people like, I'll just do it myself. I don't have time to train anyone. I, that's a cultural issue as, as well as sort of a functional issue. How, in your experience with the sort of the, the diversity of generations, have you approached training and development a little differently to sort of minimize that sort of um, lament? that goes across we, our industry. Yeah. I mean, I would say we're in the process of doing that for sure. Um, that we're realizing that we're bringing in a lot of younger folks really untrained. Like they, they went to school, but they don't really know our industry and they're struggling. Right. And they are, like you said, overwhelmed, but they don't know what they don't know. And they're scared to sh put up their hand and say, I don't know. Right. And so we are in the process of developing training, um, which we, we did like, you know, maybe five years ago. And then it seemed like through COVID, everything just kind of got lost. And now we're re reinstalling that training where it's, um, you know, everybody needs to know X, you know, technically everybody needs to know why about not why, but Z, you know, about, um, how we do our business and here, you know, so it's just a kind of basic 1.0 architecture 101 with the type of work that we do. Um, and so people can just start out on an even keel because otherwise the, what is happening and it, it's really hard is everybody is actually pretty well spread thinner than they'd like to be. And so if you put people on teams where they need training, but they don't get it, the supervisor or the project manager also has no time to train them, right? As you say, and then they just, everything, it just doesn't work, right? And everybody's frustrated. 
And that's, you know, so we'll often end up being like, okay, I got this person on my team and that I needed them to do this thing. They're not trained to do that thing. I need to give them to a different team and use their strengths right now until they get trained. And I need somebody else on my team, right? So it's a lot of shuffling and even that's not great for teams too. It's, it's, we're in a really tough transitional time right now. And we talked about that at our last principles meeting, that um, the, the conversation was supposed to be about our work from home policy, right? And making some rules from above for people, um, you know, and instead I got to moderate this one, which I was thrilled at um, just in the moment, one of the other senior principal said, Hey, Tamara, how about you moderate this conversation? And we'll just, you know, and I was like, great. I want to go around the room to all the principals and see what their, what their opinions are. And also I want to hear how much you're going to be in the office compared to your situation of working from home. Right. And, uh, that was pretty funny because, you know, one's in San Diego. She's never going to work in the office. Another guy, you know, just sold his house in Quincy and is moving to his vacation house. So he's probably not going to be in the office very much. And yet here we are thinking we're going to plan a policy for the minimum amount of time that people are going to all going to have to be in the office. Right. And so the first woman principal I asked, who was the one who called me a mommy principal that day, um, she, I said, um, you know, can you tell us what you think about this situation? And she said, well, I kind of want to back up and I want to talk about how I think we, as a principal group, need to realize that everybody's kind of broken. And there was just this like air space in the room. And she said, and I don't know if this is the time when we should be telling people what to do. I think what we should be doing is figuring out how can we help them and how can we help ourselves help them? Because she's always having conversations with folks under her where they're just, they're crying, you know, or they're, <laughs> I mean, it's literally a mental health issue, right? A post, because it's not really even post COVID, um, but everybody's sort of being very afraid and always asking, you just finished a project and there used to be a time where you'd get a few days off to clean your desk and everything before you got on the next project. And with this one, it's like, no, some other project is short staff. So you have to jump on that one. Right. And, and another principal jumped in and said, you know, in the old days, we used to, if we saw a gap, we would try to figure out how to fill it. So for example, back in those days, we saw that um, the younger folks really didn't know how to do financial planning for retirement and they didn't know if they should be doing it. So we hired an outside consultant to come in and do lunch and learns on what you could do, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s to to think about retirement, right? And, you know, and then we noticed later on that there were a lot of people, not just the principals, giving presentations and they were giving presentations pretty badly. <laughs> so we hired somebody to come in and say like, you know, how do you do better presentations, right? And those were lunch things. And then we we um, hired Maya Sharpie to come in and do um, open, not just to women, but to everyone about how 
can you become a better leader? How can you do more networking, right? How can you be be the future principal or whatever that you want to be? Um, so in this moment, you know, who who can we bring in who's going to really help, you know, give people a shot at, um, you know, dealing with the mental health issues that we're having across our teams in the office. Um, and we're still working on that. Um, but I think that it, it goes to show um, that, that this humane way of discussing, being honest, being transparent, being open about your struggles, being vulnerable is a way to get to solutions that are different than just the top-down approach of we need a policy about this. So let's sit around and talk about a policy. Yeah, I, I love what you just shared from, a, well, even principles just having the right level of conversations to solve really the underlying uh, opportunities or the underlying, you know, create under, you know, opportunities based on the sort of the underlying issues. Um, and, and then solve, even if it's solving for personal, you know, financial planning, it's just, it's solving for the right opportunity. So the fact that you're having those level, those conversations, even no matter where they start off, they end at a certain place. I think that's. And Peter, I'm sorry, I, I wanted to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to say one last thing about that particular experience, because the fellow who asked me to meet, be the mediator, the reason he did it was because he announced at the beginning of the that meeting, he said, I would like to be in the office every day of the week. And I wish everyone could be in the office every day of the week <laughs> because that's the office that I grew up in and that I believe in, right? It's very mentoring, collaborating, all of these good things. And I just wish that we could go back to that, right? And after this whole roundtable discussion, he spoke last and he said, wow, okay. So what I'm realizing is that I have to say goodbye to that dream of everybody being in the office with me. And I have to figure out how to get all those things that were there in that office into this new reality, which is everybody's going to be on different schedules. We're going to try to figure out when it is in the week that we can get together and collaborate. How do we still mentor each other? How do we network virtually and in person? All of these things that came up, right? And it was just like, amen, you know? <laughs> it was all of us just were like, he was like the, the, senior he was like the example the symbol of the senior white privileged male who you know realized he opened up he was compassionate he was humane and he was trying to figure out how could how could this work for more people than just him that is really cool because i mean what is popping in my mind like anyone across gender across generation can create the environment where we really identify what we need, uh, what our issues and opportunities are, but really now we can solve for the right problem. 
Right. Exactly. And, 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 and that, so anyone, it's open to anyone, not just the new generation. Not just, so I, I think that's really neat. What, one, and I'd love to get your thoughts on how you've, you're experiencing sort of the how we collaborate in, in a hybrid style. But one other point, you, you were talking about training and development and mm-hmm. kind of working through, I, I will say, it's not just architecture, it's across disciplines, you know, mm-hmm. all the diff, diff, different disciplines of engineering and architecture across the country and across different sizes of firms. Everyone is working through how do we better train, develop, engage, reimagine the team, reimagine teamwork for how it's going to work for us and serve the clients and have a financially viable business that grows and creates opportunities. All of it matters. Um, right. But those conversations everyone's having them. So, um, but kind of diving into the, the work from anywhere, success from anywhere, the different ideas out there, any thoughts you have on, you know what, this is how we found that it works best. This is the time we need to be together. These are the times we can be collaborative from afar. Um, any thoughts that you have on how you've seen it work best in your experience? Um, I, I have seen it work well in 20 different ways, Peter, and it all depends on the people involved and them being able to talk to each other and communicate to each other and then develop a structure that works for them. And so if there are enough people you know, and the team is local and they can easily get together one or two or three days of the week. That's great, right? They can really be collaborative. And, you know, especially with our jobs, there's, you know, the interior designers really need to be working with the finishes and seeing them in person and that kind of thing, right? Um, But then there's other teams where, um, you know, there's a guy we hired from Vermont, right? He used to work with us. And then he went left to a different firm and now is in Vermont, right? And he's never going to come in. And there's another guy on the Cape who's never going to come in. So the teams that they're on, they work collaboratively differently, right? And one thing I love, uh, one of my teams, um, the PM himself is actually (laughs) the mommy of his family, right? Technically taking that role. He's got the kid duty, his wife travels all the time. So he's not going to be in the office. So he's developed this just incredible rapport on teams where the entire team is on teams and they're back and forth, back and forth all day, you know, about, oh, I'm in this drawing and I see this problem. Oh, I'm in this one and I'm working on this, blah, 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 right? And I love it because as a principal, often, you know, at some point I start to veer off the details of the project because- you know, I'm chasing the next project and there's just so much detail in architecture and engineering, right? But I'm seeing it all. And so it's so transparent to me, suddenly this collaboration that's happening between all these team members and folks with a lot of experience, folks with no experience and everything is written in this great long, you know, text chain sharing things. So Again, I the one size fits all approach to me is a false um, a false goal. I think it's a it's a really depend everybody's experience and everybody's situation is different, and so how each team m- makes that structure, they just have to make a structure, 
and they have to be very communicative about what's working and what's not working so that they can keep changing it as it goes along if it's not working. That's great. I, I appreciate that. So it's really about opting in, the individuals opting in and then figuring out how to make it happen, mm-hmm. make success happen from anywhere. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and we're getting to the top of the hour here. How, I, I, as we close, as it relates to sort of encouraging leaders in general, but maybe encouraging, you know, from um, women to get into leadership, you know, other, you know, groups to get into leadership. When we think about sort of encouraging people in that sense, encouraging leaders to maybe be more lead blockers, because we continue to do it. Is there anything else we haven't talked about that you think would be great to, to share and, and talk about? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, if, if you're an organization and you're looking at your top tier of leaders and you're seeing that, you know, there's not enough diversity there, I think you really have to actively and intentionally try to advocate, um, find those stars that, you know, we call them the rock stars, right? Um, and, and actually tell them early on, hey, you know what, we see your, we see you as a lot of potential in this organization. And then you have to block and support and advocate for them along the way, right? Because there's so many systemic, systemic um, roadblocks in the way that you, you know, need to be pushed aside. Um, and I know, you know, once when we were talking that, that an example of that, you know, was that, um, that the principal of my firm, the president did that for me. Right. And he, he really pushed me through past a lot of resistance of the principal group, because at the time it was more money driven and they got to split the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow every year. And so the resistance was, we don't want to have to split it any more ways, right? <laughs> so, so let's wait. She can always wait. She can wait. She can wait. She can wait. Right. And then once I was up there, I realized that, you know, the, the women that I wanted to come after me, um, I had to go and really like, I, I would talk about them in the big principal meeting and there'd just be silence. Right. And so then I was like, hmm, like we're not getting anywhere here. So I decided to have individual meetings with each of those principals, right, over lunch. And I would say, hey, you know, this woman, she is doing amazing things. I know she can do this role. What are your issues with it? And they would start to talk, right? And then those things that were in the backs of their minds, you know, little resistances that are systemic, blah, 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 you know, um, would come out. And by the end of the conversation, even just them hearing themselves saying it, they would reconsider. And I would be like, well, isn't this the time? Like, let's say, oh, she's too young. Well, guess what? We need, this is what we've got. (laughs) We've got young people who we need to make principles because you guys want to retire, don't you? (laughs) Don't you want to (laughs) retire, right? And these kinds of conversations one-on-one. And then by the end of that, they were like, oh, she's in. You know, so I, I think, you know, that's, it, it's um, one, what goes around comes around and to, um, you know, make the path, once you cleared the path for yourself, make it for other people. Um, and, you know, so, and the transformation is nearly complete, as they say. 
<laughs> you know, um, it, it, we have a very diverse leadership group. And so it, there, we won't have to go back to those days ever again, I don't think, you know. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for sharing insights. You know, across, things that you've been doing across different firms you've worked with, across different decades, really kind of because it's it's it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen instantly. But I, I really appreciate all that you've, all of our conversations, but particularly today, you sharing on, on the podcast to really sort of encourage um, all leaders um, and hopefully also, you know, underrepresented in, in women leaders. I, I, I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. As you know, how can listeners get in touch with you to, to connect and maybe have deeper conversations, learn more about your experiences, again, over the decades, really kind of trailblazing in a lot of ways, but making it better for others continuing today? I have an Instagram. Um, I can give it to you. <laughs> I, I can and, put it in the um, show notes, right? Yeah. So, and, and you can connect on my, you know, to my Stantec email if people want to reach out. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, well, thank you. And thank uh, you, Peter. Thank you so much. I, I always find I, I get so much out of this back and forth with you. You make me think about things that I am just doing, but not really articulating. And um, so, so I really, really appreciate all the questions and I, and all the work you're doing with um with all sorts of leaders to keep helping them stretch and knowing that it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be better. <laughs> well, I truly appreciate that. And I appreciate your encouragement and I look forward to connecting with you again. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Okay. Take, take care. care. Bye. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. For joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.